Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 158. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair this time. History time, gentlemen. Uh, we're, we're continuing the second of our mini-series. I like that. You know, we're the Richard Chamberlain of podcasts when it comes to this. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm but, not, but okay. You there, buddy. He was the king of the mini-series in the 70s and 80s. That's Rich what man, they poor it. man. Oh, uh, the Thornburns. The Thornburns. Yes. Shogun. Count of Monte Cristo. I mean, we we could go on and on. There's lots of different stuff that he did, but uh, anyway. Yeah, but they're all so damn cheesy. But in the seventies, they were must see TV. But the entire decade of the seventies was so damn cheesy. Well, I was going to say that's a, that sounds like another episode, don't you? <laughs> yeah, the cheese I, of the seventies. Yes, cheese was uh, cheese was on the menu uh, on television. It's like we all in the lived 70s. in Wisconsin. Yes. Okay. We, uh, there's a lot of mileage we can get I out like of this. Robert. I'm telling you, this, is, this is good stuff. That's right. But so anyway, anyway, this is a series about treaties. About treaties. And it, it not just, the, and we were talking about this in the show prep, this is not just about the moments that they happened. This is not going to be, okay, you should know these dates and you should know these people. Which you should. Which you should. That's correct. You have to have that for context because we're all about that. But... What came from that and why this is important? Because in many respects, these four distinct, discrete moments of treaties shaped the world that we live in today. Because as with so many things in history, it's a process. It's not a moment. It's a thread. It's a thread. And this one here... History is a tapestry. It is. And the one we're talking about today... In many respects, I think this does not form the modern world, but it forms what forms the modern world, which was World War One. We've, we, we'll talk about that in our next episode a little bit because that's that's how everything changed. But before that, this is the stuff that we don't know that we should. Yeah, this is the Congress of Vienna, eighteen fourteen to eighteen fifteen. So this is the reaction to. Napoleon. Napoleon. Which we're going to do some Napoleon stuff uh, next year, so uh, I don't want to steal too much of that thunder. But in many respects, I think we can all understand that there's been 23 years of war in Europe. Right. When this when this You start with the French Revolution, which was such a hopeful moment that people thought, oh, for about 10 minutes. Yeah, this is going to be something that's inspired by America. Uh, All of this... You know, elites on one end and the peasants on the other is all going to get upturned. People are going to be treated equally. And then it all goes to shit. And you end up with the directory and the terror and the, all this stuff and the guillotine. And then Napoleon emerges. And guess what? He just replaces the Bourbon monarchy with himself and crowns himself, literally, Emperor. Emperor. That's right, which is, you know, even even bigger than was before. I'm glad you mentioned that, the American piece in that, because in many respects, the whole idea, now, Voltaire talked about this, we talked about a little bit, you know, about freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of the press, and all those yes, things that we... but could, I keep going back, see, that's why I think, I why know. the French Revolution is different. Yeah. So, when you look at the American, and again, I know this is a little bit of a rabbit hole yeah. early for that, but I think this is important to understand why... Because you're right, French Revolution kicks off all this crap that results ultimately in the Congress of Vienna. Right. So, in America, the philosophy behind the revolution was a bit different than what was going on in Europe. Because for us, we took those Enlightenment uh, ideals, and they were more broad-based. Yes. So, while it obviously did not extend to everybody in the country, you know, uh, women certainly could not vote in the beginning. It's, you know, we still had slavery and all that, but it was still expected by those who had the franchise to to better themselves. Whereas we talked about this with Voltaire and some of the other Enlightenments. Yeah, they were for all that stuff, but only for the right people. Yeah, right. It was yeah. still very elitist. That's why the French Revolution happened the way it did. Right, and, right. and to a large degree, the revolutions that would follow America's were vengeance. Yes. It was everybody that had traditionally been pissed on decided to get even. Yes. That's exactly it. And that's, that's the, the reasoning for almost every revolution. Yeah. That's why we always talk about how ours is unique. Ours was not to get revenge, it was to be left alone. Yeah, it was a revenge of the middle class. And the revenge of the middle class is... George, leave us the hell alone. Right. 
Yeah, and it, it, which is, and yet it was still taken as inspiration for France. Well, yes, and I, th- I think, but it wasn't a philosophical inspiration. It was a practical inspiration. Yes, like, because look, look what well, they the, did. The philosophies are nearly identical. It's who they extend to. Yeah, and that's ah. the difference between the American Revolution and. Almost every other revolution. Yeah, I mean, to a degree, the American Revolution is an oxymoron. What do people who own all this land have to revolt about? Right. You know, you're you are the elite. Right. To a well, large degree. Well, it was also about look. You're not letting us participate. So, in many ways, it, you know, you can make the argument it sounds very populist. Yeah. But it was people who had money and influence here that couldn't that had no control over what was done to them yeah. in, in we're some ju- ways. We're just as English as you Englishmen. Right. And, I mean, <laughs> right. that was the whole point. Right. Yeah. And, for, and for, for some. I mean, Franklin was very much clear later on. Right. Screw that. We really don't want representation. If they gave it to us, that's not what we're after. Well, after yeah. a certain point, After no. a certain point, yeah. that's right. But, but that's how it began. earlier, yeah. who knows how things would have gone. Yeah. It, well, it'd be, we'd all be Canada. You know how cold it is up there. <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get into this. And I'm not eating, you know, I'm not calling that bacon. It's ham. I love right. it, but it's it's really ham. And, you know, give me fries, not poutine. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I tell you, I didn't realize we were going to get into a Bash Canada episode. Yeah, you no, I Canadians. love my Canadian brothers and sisters. You know? I mean, you're a hockey guy. you got to love Canada. Right. You know, well, you know, I want to fight them because, you know, it's hockey. But <laughs> Go Maple Leafs. Yeah. Dude. Oh, dude! Oh, you are just, just a honest. shot across the bow there, aren't you? No, I'm mean, genuine. I the maple. I feel bad for them. What they haven't won a playoff series in what forty years or something? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, and it's but they're on the cusp. Hey, even the Cubs will win eventually, right? Yeah. So, so. I'm, I'm, I'm. It warms my heart to see them if the Maple Leafs can win a playoff series. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. Okay, but yes, right. they can, they can shut their poutine holes about everything else. All right. <laughs> Let's bring us back, gentlemen. Let's bring us decent beer. Good bring captain, us back. Good Let's bring us back here. Real us back. Us back, back artillery. Yeah. Uh, back up about two hundred years and let's right. start over. That's right. It, it's, it, <laughs> but you're exactly right that we only had a sip or two of bourbon, so I'm not sure why we've gotten so silly all of a sudden. Hey, it, it, it makes for a good podcast. This is what happens when you day drink. That's right. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna have to start. It might make work more interesting. There you go. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, Francis. Please okay, continue. Please let us get back to the fact that the French Revolution was almost neither. It was it was vengeance, as you say. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good encapsulation. That's what it, yeah, that's and what a it pull, a pull through on that, and which in, take all the smart, pretty people and cut their heads off. Well, that's right, and that's very well, good. It's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, you know, well yeah, but most of the pretty people weren't that smart. Well, we you got the smart and the pretty, but they weren't usually the same thing. <laughs> it's but that's usually, I mean. usually well, that's usually true anyway. That's yeah. right. But anyway, yeah, you, uh, it, it became an, an amazing bloodbath, as we know. And yeah. uh, and we're going to do an episode on the terror and, some, and the Red Revolution. But Napoleon emerges. He stabilizes the waters, which is what, at least France internally. That's right. But then decides, let's start spreading our revolution. Across Europe. Because what, and you're exactly right. I'm glad you mentioned that because Napoleon was seen at the beginning as the savior of Europe by the popular people because he's taken these essential freedoms that were philosophically underpinning the revolution, even though by the time it gets out of control, nobody cares about that. It's, you know, whatever much blood we can get. But there was. You know, liberté, égalité, fraternité, that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's very anti-monarchical yes. uh, out there. And he, he codifies, this Napoleonic Code codifies some very basic freedoms for the French. Uh, yeah, exactly. And this is, you know, he some of this is the stuff that he's stealing a little from America, but not really. Most of this is him. And you know we we give I know you are a, a vehement and vehement anti Bonapartist. Yes, that's I want to make sure I get that all out here. Yes, a doofus from Kentucky. Yes. Uh, from is a is a vehement anti Bonapartist. But you're Which thinking sounds of, like a goofy thing to say. Well, but okay. actually, it really yes, is. With Scottish roots. That's right. But the, the chicks dig that, I'm sure. Anyway. Uh, but you're but you're exactly right. We're, but we might be the only of, three people in Kentucky that understand that phrase. Oh god! <laughs> no, our listeners are far more astonished oh, oh, by yes, there yes. are our listeners. Yes, but you're speaking of Bonapartism uh, in its classical form. This 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 is all oxymorons that we're using yes. and paradoxes. But as it eventually became, but 
we we forget that in the beginning, what was considered Bonapartism at the time was absolutely we would we would recognize, embrace, and be loved. Yeah, uh, it's only when it became tyrannical that our American especially, especially when he yeah he used the resources of the French to then try to blueprint all of Europe. Well, see, I would remake it in his image. remake it in his image that anybody who 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 understood. Granted, this is before Sam Clemens, you know, pointed out that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah. Uh, very much looking back, it's obvious to me mm-hmm. that the way Napoleon, Napoleonic France turned out was inevitable. Yes. And yes. the reason for that is because of Napoleon. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you look at the U.S., our revolution was designed to give people the right to have a say in their own government. That's at the core. Right. Now, obviously, again, not everybody had that say, but it was designed to, to give people here that right. And it was actually pretty easily modifiable yes. to add people along the way. Yes. And, you know, we, we say genius, pure genius of the founders. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that in any other revolution. And by setting himself up as the emperor... He was doomed to end up as he did, right? Because the and again, we, we talked about this before. And while Washington is this huge figure in world history that does not get the credit that he deserves, he walked off the stage. Yeah, he's Cincinnati. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the, enough cannot be said about the idea of okay, guys, I, I'm I'm done. I'm handing it off. Yep. It's, it's up to turn. you now. It's yeah. your turn. See, yeah, I mean, he, he turned down multiple things. He, you know, he turned down a third term, but before that, he turned down being a hereditary king. Yeah, yeah. he turned down military dictatorship. He yeah. thwarted military dictatorship. So he yeah. said, "Congress critters are awful, but let's not shoot them." Yeah. So yeah, we're talking. Think about that. They're awful. We're not even ten years <laughs> post revolution, and we already realized, oh man, Congress sucks. <laughs> Yeah, but but, ulti- he, but ultimately, yeah. and, and, and we'll talk a lot more about that in the Washington because that that's the episode I want to lead with. Oh yeah, when we yeah. talk Washington is is the meeting of the officers, uh, and I've grown gray in your service, and we'll hit all that. But yeah, but that's the that's the difference. Napoleon never walked Napoleon off the stage. Never, well, and because Napoleon not only owned the stage, he became the stage. Yeah. I mean, I cannot overestimate the ego of this man. And partially because well, he was his own cult of personality. He was. He was one of the very first and best. And not that there have you know not first, but he certainly did it to new levels because he could. Because he came through the military background. He was a genius. There's no question uh, on just about. He's a, he's a polymorph in all sorts of things. Uh, he could. I mean, he understood a polymath. Polymath, or a polymath, polymath. Excuse me. You're exactly right. Okay. He understood. Uh, thank you for the correction. Uh, <laughs> he had the ability. I mean, I'd like to be a polymorph because then I, you know, I look like Brad Pitt. But uh, uh, I pick Brad Pitt. But I, I get your point. You, you guys just cannot stay on subject today. What is it with you guys? Uh, is it the day drinking thing? No, it's just you're bringing up so many good things that I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm I, I keep pitching them. You keep hitting them. I yes, guess. there you that's go. Right. All right, that's right. There ain't no hole in anybody's glove today. That's right. Yeah. No. Okay. Back to this. We've got to understand Napoleon being who he was brought these reforms, which I was trying to get at. You know, he brings reforms. So what are the reforms? Uh, representation. Uh, the law. His, his so Napoleonic code of law is the big one. You have the ability. No longer. He really does codify a lot of a basic lot of things rights. That we understand. Yeah, basic human rights. For what we're France, talking about uh, here. You know, they really could have uh, have newspapers. That's correct. And and have different voices. And and there was a a you know a freedom of speech movement a moment for France. Right. And you had the ability now. It was not just where the nobility could accuse you and throw you into prison. You've got habeas corpus. You've got all these other things that go with that. Right, you had a, a real rights to, to real, trial. The real, to, the, to the people that were universal human rights, not just the elite get one set of rules and the others. And the which is right. what, so, There's the biggest difference right but there. But my sense is, yes, we start with that ideal. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, obviously a lot of that's probably going to be borrowed from us because, you know, say, hey, let, let's try this. But because you've got because Napoleon pulls a McClellan and brings himself to the party, mm-hmm. 
uh, all of that is going to be meaningless fairly quickly. Because he, because let's face it, he's not an emperor, he's a military dictator. Yeah, uh, yeah. Calls himself first consul at first, uh, and yes, because he's very much into the whole Roman thing. Right, yeah, I get and, that. and it was efficiency. It was the, it was reaching back to something that they knew was good. It was their yeah, it was restoration, that sort of thing. Exactly. And then, but see, he brings he, conquest is the piece I'm trying to spit out here. Yes. that's what messes with everything. If he had, he could have gone down as one of the great visionaries. Of, well, of history, did he have a mechanism for replacing himself? Well, that would have. Now, I don't know. Uh, See, that's it, what it's makes hereditary. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, it there was being hereditary. It was it, again. It was hereditary succession again. Right. So he, all he's done, as you said, Martin, he just replaced the Bourbons with himself. Yeah, he did. But he brought along a lot of reforms with him, and that's and fine. that's the difference. Yes. Well, that, look how well that worked out for the English kings. Well, that's that's correct. You know, yes. they were eventually powerless. Uh, and that would part. have, and I don't think Napoleon ever thought that because, well, well, no, he's he probably not because everybody who does this sort of thing always, all they can see is what's immediate, right? Mm-hmm. They never see past what's going to happen when I'm an old man and my son needs to take over, right? Because it's never the daughter at this time, right? Uh, and and he, he eventually would think that way as he got older. He uh, we became concerned about succession and all that stuff like that. Well, but again, it's still the continuation of him. No, absolutely, yeah, right. nailed yeah. it he, exactly. I don't know that Napoleon ever said it, but he should have. I am the state. Oh, uh, in your he said things like that constantly. I mean, he was he literally. I mean, was, he, he's a, I, I'm will. not only the state. I am. I am. He says Europe, everything. Is, yeah, that's right. It's right. Like my oh. will. Will. Yeah. Whatever I want, that's all it was. I mean, right, it was... and it is this that overrides. This is why I say that that uh, Napoleon was. It, what happened was inevitable because that mindset that we all recognize that he had. I mean, we call it a Napoleon complex for a reason. Yeah, is that you cannot leave other people alone. You've got to impose something. Right. Whether he... you think it's good or not. I mean, let's face it. As we said before, nobody gets up in the morning thinking, "I think I'll be evil today." <laughs> yeah, we think that what we want to do to other people, what we want to bring to other people, is for their own good. It's very paternalistic, civilized. Endeavor. It is very yes. much a a condescending. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, attitude. Yeah, and conquest I'm, is just the logical expression, the ultimate expression of that condescension. And, and that's why Nazi Germany wanted to. I mean, that and Uh That's why the Soviets wanted to expand. That's why China. Wants to expand because no, what Dr. they have Doom wants to do things. Pardon? It's why Doctor Doom wants to do things. It's why Doctor Doom thinks wants he's to... doing the right thing. That's exactly. right, and because he only he knows what's really right. Exactly. He he knows what's best, and it's just it's back to that Napoleon. Yeah. Uh, my will. I, I'm and, the only one that gets it. You know, and if he hadn't gone to Russia, Europe would be totally different today. Well, it's a little bit of an overstatement, but you're exactly right. Well, no, I mean, think about it. The army that he had, the most powerful army Europe had ever seen, died in Mm -hmm. Russia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he he did destroy his power with the Russian invasion. Yeah. He did. Uh, Bringing it to a unnatural conclusion, what could have or eventually would have had some sort of natural conclusion, because... um, Sooner or later, the, the quintuple, quintuple alliance was able to exert and re come together right. and pull back and knock him back. Yeah. You're right. It would have taken longer. It would have been different. Uh, but sooner or later, they all, rea- they, yeah, they all realized he is not in our best interest because he won't stop. He will, well, he will conquer all of us. He will devour all of us. As soon as somebody steps outside their borders, they need to be stopped. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we're working on these days with uh, right. in the well, Ukrainian that's what, war. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what we're saying is well, obviously that's obvious to us yeah. speaking today. But you know, Europe because remember, there's still monarchs all over the place, and therein lies the problem. Yes, because all of them they about. want to do what he did. So this really does tie these events then to what we did last month. With Westphalia. Yes. Westphalia is the beginning of the idea of sovereignty, of borders and meanings. And you, you, you know, you're not to violate the internal stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know, nations have sovereignty. So here's a reaction to someone who has now violated that sovereignty all across Europe. Right. 
In, in a large, and I, I will make this caveat though. He's doing it in a large, ex, uh, systematically disruptive manner because borders were still fluid up to this point in many yeah. ways. Uh, there are certain pieces that go back and forth, especially all the time. Eastern Europe. Especially Eastern Europe. You that's know, correct. What is, what is Poland? Well, nobody really knows. Well, at this you know, time. and Russia wants their fingers in it big yeah. time. And Alexander the First was a very, very canny individual. Very, yeah. very. He was one of so the what great we got czars. Here, uh, Napoleon is attempting to again. He's conquering Europe. He's implementing Napoleonic style governance, appointing brothers to kingships all over the place. Yeah. But it's starting to fall apart now. All of these wars are pretty continuous. They're war of the fourth coalition, the war of the fifth coalition, war of the sixth coalition. Yeah, and so you get and to he this beats point them every freaking single time in all yeah. the battles that they keep going back. Austerlitz is his his, his masterpiece. Yes, but by this point here, you're talking 1814. Spain has been over time pushed back. That's Wellington. Yeah, uh, in the Peninsula Campaign, and finally Austria and Russia uh, and Prussia. In particular, Prussia is the is the dominant force at this point. Have finally gotten their shit together, and got their poop in a group. That's right, and Thank they you. literally are able to because of Moscow and what happens in Russia. Uh, they well, sense yes, that's going to give them they, the opportunity. They sense they can finally do this without so having to. Napoleon's finally broken. That's right. He's being pushed off the scene. Yeah, they they literally force him his first exile. They 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 put they force him. Uh, in, in, 18, in May of 1814, they actually invade France, all of them. You know, they, they shrink everything down. Napoleon does not want to give up, but his marshals tell him, you know, this is it. It's an honorable exile. We're going to let you still be a head of state to the island of Elba. A personal guard of a thousand men. You get to play, you know, sovereign all you want to, which is actually unheard of. Yeah. If you think yeah. about it, that was an unbelievably generous... Yeah, because in the yeah. past, he either would have been the captive of somebody that's or right. just executed outright. Executed. That's right. And see, that's, that's, it still bunfuzzles me that they would do that. Uh, only because... But the reason they did is they, people, they knew France was beloved. They want to bring France back into the fold. Well, and also... But they hate them. Post-enlightenment. Yeah. So, you know... It's 200 years early for this, but, you know, it's a kinder, gentler sort of thing with yeah. that Enlightenment philosophy. You know, I, I suspect it has something to do with it. I, yeah, you, I think you're that right. That whole held a lot of stupidity. It is. It's, uh, we could talk a long time about how that all It would be like about. sending, you know, Hitler off. To, I mean, obviously I don't equate Hitler and Napoleon, but, you know, as far as guys who try, try to take over Europe, they're relative equivalents. Yeah. It would be like sending Hitler off to, you know, some island in the in the North Sea and said, all right, here's a thousand of your SS and just, you stay there. You're the king of, yeah, you're, you're the, the king of there. Yeah, their shit, Paul Island. Yeah. <laughs> very good. I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We'll, we'll even take all the Jews off of it for you, but you stay there. Not going to happen. Not right. going to happen. No. You're exactly right. Well, and I think that some of this, what because it really does predate the notion that you could hold someone accountable for what we would now call war crimes. Well, that's and see that in many respects, it's because of this mistake. It's I wouldn't say it's a blunder because it was meant out of those. You know, we want to. We do not want the French to think that we are imposing ourselves. We want to put back in, and that's where we're getting back to this Congress yeah. of Vienna. We want to restore order to Europe, and the only way to do that, in their opinion, is we must have monarchical control yeah. like we had before. So, oh, and well, this is very Hobbesian, which we'll get into that at yeah. one point. So, so the, they they send him off to exile, invite yeah. the Bourbons back. That's right, a Louis XVI brother, a, Louis XVIII. Yeah. Reestablish a Bourbon monarchy in France, yep. and then they start this Congress to try to then figure out all the remaining issues. Right. Just a little time frame. Napoleon is done in May of 1814. The Congress convenes in September of 14. Right, and keeps going, and then all of a sudden, yeah, the, he's the, back. The werewolf escapes from Elba is what they said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is Napoleon this, II electric boogaloo really happens. He comes <laughs> back. If you're going to do that, and it's called the Hundred Days. That's it's, right. It's, it's March it's, to July. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and of course, Waterloo is the is the. You know, yes, piece Wellington, in fact, leaves the Congress. He yeah, is, because he's, he's the representing, British representative. Yeah. yeah, he's representing Britain. He says, oh, crap, you guys keep talking. I got some more shit to do. They and, bring the coalition back together Back again. together and then go and defeat uh, 
Napoleon at Waterloo, Waterloo, and that's the final defeat. That's correct. And the real exile then now to And Saint that's, in, in many respects, that egg on the faces of them who were trying to play nice is what sets in concrete the approaches from that point forward yeah. to those who will not yeah. comply. Right. That's one of the reasons, you, and I do believe that's kind of the whole notion of war crimes and we are going to hang your ass if you do yeah. this. That starts with Napoleon because we're not going to have that shit again. Yeah. We're so, not going to be nice to you and have you come back again and make us all look stupid. Because yeah. he damn, there was no way the 100 days could have ever led to anything really uh, at best, Napoleon could have stayed in France and and become the monarch there. That's what he asked for. But then he invades Belgium, for God's sakes, because he knows he has to go back to war yeah. in order to save and himself. And that's what he's good at. That's, that's the only thing he's good at, really, in, in respects, well, in the end. That's it. That, and that's my whole point. He brought himself to his emperorship. Yeah. He is a military dictator. Absolutely. Military dictators do not... They do two things. They terrorize their own people. In some banana republic, yeah, and or because it's not they're not mutually exclusive, they invade their neighbors, right? And that's what he did because he was and militarily, you know, we talk, we talk about geniuses. Napoleon is a genius in many many ways, but militarily he does things which we look at right now and thinking, well, duh, obvious, but they've never been done before. He goes in and he lightning fast. He 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 uh, he innovates uh, all right. over the place. He he seamlessly has artillery, cavalry, infantry come in in these lightning right. maneuvers, combined arms, and and it just, just absolutely rolls over these other guys well, every know, single time. It's only until yeah. Wellington comes, who by this time has learned his tactics, mind you. Well, the, you know, the for the last hundred to hundred and fifty years. The uh, the Spanish tercios were the model for all warfare. That's the the squares, the blocks. The squares, That's right? And you know the Spanish did those better than anybody during the the Thirty Years' War. And until the the muskets got better, until mm -hmm. the artillery got better, uh, and then you know you somebody figured out how to combine them, like like him, that was the ultimate way to 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 do it. Uh -huh. uh, so it, it just you know it's like World War One. You know, once you start entrenching, until the tank and the machine gun come along, you know that's yeah. the yeah te the technological race. So I think that's a good stopping spot because that's a lot of the background because we still got to really hit what they were actually trying to do, and, and I, I want to make sure. Came from it. Yeah, I want to make sure we also bring up a key figure that emerges uh, from this very important guy. But let's do our. Bourbon break. Bur yeah, Bourbon Since break. Since we're talking French at the moment, we can talk French. No, no, Burn no, him. Napoleon here. No, no, we see he sent to Saint Helena. Uh, although his two okay, your French burns. accent's really shit. Of course it is. Absolutely, <laughs> of course. Uh, what do you mean by outrageous? Outrageous French accent. Like, you silly king. That's exactly right. But we're talking bourbon, as in bourbon, as as our yes. bourbon. Break. So we're we're. You should never ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Never ever call bourbon bourbon. Okay, yeah, it's, it's just, I mean it is obviously where the word is from. That's but, right. But, but what you start well, it comes from the county, which comes from there. Yes, named but, after yes. those French kings. But you know we don't pronounce those French words the same way. Yeah, we pronounce right. it right. Bourbon and Versailles. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, we are here at Studio M. I'm excited to welcome the fellows back to Studio M. Always and good to be here. Indeed. We are we are maxing in, relaxing, very comfortable. Yeah, had our had our nice big breakfast at uh, Der Waffle House. Der Waffle House. Joyman, uh, that's right. Young lady named uh, was her name Michaela. Was what was written I, on the know, back of the tickets? Her name, I think that may be it. Yeah. Uh, oh my yeah. gosh, she was the best waitress she was, we've had. Oh, just the super sweetest ever. Yeah, that's she was right. attentive very, without being overbearing. She was had a great positive attitude. Just a really sweet pleasant. smile. So thank yeah. you, Michaela. Thanks for taking good care of us. Uh, at Der Waffle House. I gotta say, I was a little alarmed when I got there because somebody was sitting in our seats. We That's didn't right. get our usual spot. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, talk to the manager. It, it's <laughs> not uh, not going to supplant uh, our our good buddies over at uh, Biscuit, uh, Belly. Biscuit Belly. But uh, yeah, we we did appreciate Michaela this morning at Waffle House. She was super duper. Yes, and I have poured all the fellas uh, a glass of Green River Bourbon. This is brand new. Stuff, yes, one of making, those making its snakes and otters debut. Yeah, one of those deals where somebody reached uh, back in time for a brand name that had been extinct for a while. Uh, it's out of Owensboro. 
Oh, okay. And, well, that makes uh, sense because where Green River actually is. Yes. Yeah. So it is. It's uh, Green River. It was kind of a thing online there a few months ago when it got re-released. So I went right out and got a bottle. Oh, so this is a very recent revival. Yes. Uh, yes. Very revival. recent revival of this name. Um, so I went right out and got us a bottle, and the fellows are trying it What's out. What's the proof on this? Um, I would have to look, sir. Let me do well, that. While you do that, well, we, you do, we, we will about, continue uh, about the taste and the uh, bouquet. Yeah. Um, I noticed initially uh, it has a very nice bouquet. Uh, sometimes you don't get much of a, a sniff off of the bourbons, but this one has a, has a very nice one. Um, it really hits the, the nasal passages uh, uh, pretty strongly that first sip. Um, uh, it, it, it sticks around in, in the mouth uh, quite a bit uh, for me. Uh, yeah, it does. It, 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 uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, bottle, by the way, which I know that seems kind of esoteric, but folks, that's what sells bourbon. Well, and you know, yeah, that's, I've that's talked about it before. Horseshoe shaped. Oh, well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's 90 It's easier to see from where I am because I yeah. see how it's... The, yeah, yeah, he's a, yeah. I say the the base of it over to me, yeah, shaped exactly. like a, a horseshoe. So what was the proof? It's ninety, 90 proof. 90 okay, proof. I thought it might be a little bit higher because um, I think the higher proofs tend to have a little bit more of that um, uh, intensity. So I get licorice. Founded, That's what it founded is. in eighteen eighty five is when the brand was originally yeah. out there. Uh, yeah, pride so, of Owensboro is what they call it. We love Owensboro; it's a great town. Uh, a little further west for those of you who are not in Kentucky, but uh, and it's a uh, uh, which is really nice that uh, most of the stuff that we have is so close to around us. Nelson, Marion County, here in Jefferson County, uh, over on Frankfort, uh, taking a little bit west is a little bit of a departure. Uh, but the limestone that we have here in this state is what, and the water that's produced from it is really what makes such great, great, yeah. both the grain, the corn that goes into the bourbon. Right. Well, um, and the temperature changes. And, and, absolutely. Because you know. they're moderate. And, but yet they're, they're also but they distinct. Are the extremes. They yeah. are, yeah, they, exactly. Yeah. They are distinct. It helps with the aging and the barrels and the way they move around in the rick house is all about the, the weather and the seasons. Yeah. So I got, I got, I did, I got with ice, I got a Me too. touch of licorice flavor out of it. I can see that. Yeah, and it's kind it's, of a secondary. It's flavor mild. Is very, it's very mild. mild. Well, it's Woods. mild, but not initially because you, like I said, you know, I get that that very strong but not awful um, tingling in the nasal passages. See, I, and I'm having my neat, and you've got water in yours. You got a little no, ice. No, I have ice. Oh, you have ice. That's correct. Which, which granted, is, does become water. Become water, right? Uh, but mine didn't have that. I didn't. It didn't go into the nasal passages for me at all. See, that's got to be the ice and a little bit of water. It's got to be that. I'm telling you, need to expand into trying ice a little bit more often because I'm telling you, it really transforms the bourbon. Which, of course, is is the intention. But it's meant to be done either way. Yeah, but honestly, I've yet to find one that I like better neat than with a little bit of ice. Okay, so so y'all are pestering me. Y'all are... Uh, no, I'm just wagging me. I'm encouraging you to to expand. It's just it gives such a... just. You know, it just blows open the flavor in a different way. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mine, mine always, mine's because uh, I just took another drink. It's a little bit, a little esophageal. Yes, yes. Nice yes. And good After it, like, it does its bit in the nose and hangs around a little bit in the mouth. It, 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 it moves its way down slowly. Yeah, yeah. Which is the, it's just kind of. Are you getting any other uh, flavors though? I mean, is it just, is it woodsy to you? It's or? woodsy. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't detect the licorice, but I'm not a licorice person anyway, so it's okay. not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get picked up on that. No, I don't detect any distinctiveness. I mean, you are you are the most sensitive palate here when it comes yeah, to yeah. that. You usually can pull all that out a little uh, bit. Not, uh, not, better, as, not as much as you know, real tasters can. Well, but, but of the three of us, of the three of us, that's right. You are. You I are get a little. I get, I'm getting a little bit. It's it's. Uh, um. The, the, the initially for me the the nose of it was a little. A little chemical-y. Yeah, yeah. It was a touch too chemical I know that's, that's a thing that you don't like. Yeah, but the once you get some in, and I had a little bit more ice with mine, so mine's a little more watered than, than uh, Robert's. But you're right, once that water, enough of that took effect, that really moderated that chemical. Yeah, it really moderates uh, that. Nice. And then the flavor, again, it's, you get I get kind of a, an, an initial licorice note, and then the second flavor is more the kind of the woods. Not a real strong char at all. No, 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 no. Which, not at all. You know, I mean, 
it's not terribly light, but it's not necessarily really dark either. Uh, but yeah. it, you know, it's I've it's, seen lighter versions. Yeah, it's a little on the darker side, not quite to like a uh, double oaked Woodford type, right? But it it is a darker amber, yeah, uh, darker, you know, like a real dark clover honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an it. interesting way of putting it. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. So not not a light honey, but the, kind of that that dark honey, not quite syrup. Uh, color. And, oh, no, no. I, I think it's syrup is a much deeper, but then yes. I think it's Cairo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a winner. Uh, certainly. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. Uh, it's I, very mellow after breakfast bourbon. <laughs> yes. yes. Why not? Bring it on. <laughs> really should have had the maple uh, bourbon for yeah. those, but yes. So. Uh, but yeah, it's very good. Very good. We have some toasting to do. Yes, we do. We oh, do. yes. Thank you. So, Let's uh, go ahead, Robert. In our last uh, pop culture episode, we did a tribute uh, specifically to George Perez. And we also talked about his influences and, and the artists around them. And, of course, one of those influences was Neil Adams, because he right. influenced everybody that came after him, practically. Mm-hmm. Right. And since then, both Neil Adams and George Perez have passed. Yes. Adams was 80, uh, but I hadn't heard that he was in bad health. I hadn't either, yeah. Because uh, he, he'd been doing live streams on Facebook for years. And had continued regularly. He had been a regular participant at cons. Yeah. Uh, and I had met him and talked to him a couple of times at a couple of different cons here in town. Uh, he's a, He was a, a huckster. He was always trying to sell his art. And it was so damned expensive. Uh, well, because, because he was Neil Adams. And right. The history. I mean, he could, he could demand I mean, he, that. He would do it. head, you know, quick head shots. Pass the bottle back, of, if you would, uh, sir. Famous characters that did, like Bat, uh, Batman and, and others. Uh, and sell them for a hundred bucks, you know, like trading card size. Like, geez, wow. I still don't have a hundred bucks for that. But anyways, I mean, he's a great artist, great, uh, great uh, man. He was the leading voice for creators' rights. Yeah. And uh, compensating Jack Kirby and all of those early Marvel creators. He was one of the guys that led the fight. So he definitely deserves all the accolades we can give him. Yeah. All of them. And he would still do a miniseries, uh, even in recent years. Yes, he did a couple of Batman, Batman Odyssey. Odysseys, which is and if you read some of those, some of that stuff is literally batshit crazy with what he's done. Yes. because he could. He was Neil Adams. He he was writing and drawing. He did a Fantastic Four one recently. That's too. right. Uh, visionary? No, not visionaries, but it was a uh, yeah. It was one of those. Uh, I forget for the dang on. I forget the name of it. Uh, which is. Hey, Neil Adams wants to do a miniseries. We let him do it, and he let him do what he wants to do. Exactly. And sometimes they are weird as all get out. Yeah, but they are still fun. It's still fun and because, yeah, so, and they're always beautiful. So you know, we, in in him, we have lost an incredible. Uh, the detail of his work, Mount Rushmore so, guy. Yeah, absolutely. You want to pick guys that go on the comics, Mount Rushmore. He's one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Kirby, Ditko, definitely Adams, and there are going to be others. But those, I mean, he's one of them. Yeah, and. So, and then also we, we lost George Perez. We knew the reason we did the episode last month was because we knew that he had uh, cancer and that uh, he had announced back in January he had maybe six months to live. Yeah, so and he didn't he, quite he lasted it about long. three and a half, four months. Yeah. So and, uh, yeah, a great talent. One of the, just an incredible talent. One of the had, cleanest, uh, most uh, clearest artists that I've ever seen, no matter who's inking him. When he inks himself, he was... It was spectacular, but he he would work with just about anybody. And uh, he's uh, I even saw articles recently. Of course, you know they've been proliferating since his passing. That in many respects, the Wonder Woman character he saved that in the eighties. Oh, yes. Yeah, because it was it was I don't want to say it was doomed to obscurity, but, but pretty it darn close. Struggled. It had struggled for a long many time. Times. Yes, and you know one of the reasons why they kept it going was for the copyright. Right, and you know. It, there was talk of can of truly canceling it after crisis. Yeah, and because they just the they weren't selling, and then and Perez comes in, who is coming off of Teen Titans, so he is a kind of a superstar artist at this time, and having had a career of what fifteen years at least, not more than um, that at that point, close to about between twelve and fifteen. Yeah, so he he's one of those guys that even though he was not always good with his deadlines, was always great for turning. He had some health really issues. Good yeah. As well as it, he just, if you look at the detail he put in his books, that's right, and that's that's why that. Uh, and he literally took over that character not long after Byrne took over Superman. 
Oh, it would be at the same time. It was the same. It was exactly the same. Yeah, time. because it was post crisis. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember if it's exactly that. Or I mean, it, there may have been later. a month or two difference. Yeah. So uh, it was. You're speaking Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes, the big classic DC. The first series. reboot yeah. of right. their universe. And that was a true reboot and, of the universe. That's right. And Perez did, drew, and... He inked, drew. Did he, did he ink it? I don't think he uh, did. He may have inked some of it, but yeah. I don't think he, he yeah. did. Yeah, but he drew the whole 12 uh, issues, what they called a maxi-series at the time. Yes. Uh, which was uh, you know groundbreaking in many respects. That's yeah. what you'll hear him remembered for in many respects. But that Wonder Woman, he, he, he re- redid the mythology in many ways. He went heavy into the... Uh, Greek mythology with the right. well, characters. Right. Well, he said, you know, kind of brought her back to that. Yeah, they're tied to the Amazons. There is a a legitimate mythology around the Amazons, and he used it. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, he he kind of did what Byrne is known for in a little bit different way. Byrne was known for back to basics. Yeah. In everything he did, and Perez did that same thing, but instead of back to basics to the original character, he did back to basics to the original source material. Yeah. Uh, you know, a smart guy, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and, and he and he made that book uh, a force to be reckoned with. Yes, for, uh, for something that was almost gone. So yeah. to those two, those yes. great, great wonder to in Neil the Adams and George, George Perez, Perez. Yes. guys, may they, they will... forever rest in peace. And, and goodness and... knows, as long as we're alive, they will be remembered. Yes, us and yeah. many, many it was others. Very sad. Uh, when I saw both of them, at, yeah. at, thanks. Uh, it's part of my childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the memories, guys. Thanks for the great art. Yeah, which which will live on, of course. You know, the yes. many of these many of these works will be continually reprinted, uh, and especially in the coming days. So, well, you, and everything is digitized now as well. So, they will, yeah, yeah, it's out there. So, and, until society collapses, it will be available to people. All right. So, Congress of Vienna. Congress of Vienna. Right. So we actually got to the Congress. Yeah, that's right. So all the background now. And it, Congress is a misleading word because they didn't really have like big sessions and speeches. It was a lot of running back and forth. It was a lot of private meetings. Again, the main players being Prussia, Russia, Britain, uh-huh. uh, and then the guy weasels France into the discussion when they should have been really the well, object of what was they going were, on. They were deliberately excluded, uh, tried to be, up yeah, to at this first, point. but. The guy that emerges is Talleyrand. Yes, yeah, right. You've heard the name. Now learn the name. Yeah, this is a this is one of those weird circumstances of here's a guy who serves France from the Bourbons to the uh, Revolution to Napoleon and the aftermath, and it's like, wow, how do you survive when everyone else is getting their heads cut off? How does he survive and thrive? He's in, yeah. he's in the catbird. He's seat. he's very much the progenitor of Casablanca's Captain Reno. I oh. blow with the prevailing wind. Uh-huh. You know, when he needed to be a Bonapartist, he was a Bonapartist. That's right. When he needed to be a, a, a you know a monarchist, he was a monarchist. Yeah. So he survived uh, the Directory and the Terror and everything when many others did not. And he emerges as this incredible diplomat. Um, who gets France back in the conversation, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of how do we come out of this without getting, uh, you know, everybody else's boots on our throat. Right. And it, 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 he's he's brilliant in the way that he, he literally, uh, he's got the gift of gab, obviously, because what he does, he does this in good old-fashioned uh, politicking. He's the one that kind of makes friends wherever he goes, wants to be, and he's one of those, weasels himself into just, weasels is a very good word, weasels yeah. himself just about into every back channel discussion and gains allies, which he immediately, and, and which allies he immediately, the moment, yeah, you know, because he, he, he very clearly dumps them once he's inside. I mean, and, and, and everybody's not really his friend. I mean, a lot of people can't freaking stand him, Yeah, but he's willing to offer what they want. Uh-huh. And so, then when they offer what they want, he's he's he'll he'll advocate for their positions as well. And in many respects, this brings about a far better product in the end, uh, because the intention here, two intentions, one of which is we don't want this crap to happen again. Well, no, that's partially it. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want this crap to happen to us again. Oh, okay. And right. I, the reason I say that is because if you look at uh, under on Wikipedia. You know, Grant, I know it's you know you don't use this in your papers for your professors, but for our purposes, Wikipedia is fine. Yeah, it's, it's good uh, encapsulation. If you look at the final act section, 
almost every one of these things are about establishing or reestablishing power and authority and enacting land grabs by various rulers and monarchs. Which was the second part I was going to go yes. with. Yes, so right. when I say that you know we don't want this to happen again, no, no, we don't want it to happen to us again because everything in this list mm-hmm. is designed to prop up single rulers, guys that were basically just like Napoleon, they just weren't as good at it. Right, and they, but they, but they were enough of them to put come together and say, okay, if you don't let it happen to me, I won't let it happen to you. Right, I get that, I get that, but I'm just being a little cynical here in the uh, as a counterpoint to the. This was no grand ideal. No, it was not. You it know, was self-preservation. In right, many I mean, respects. in many ways, I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't have called the Treaty of Westphalia a grand ideal, but it it had some seeds there, and compared to this, it absolutely was a grand ideal. Mm-hmm. Because this is literally a CYA treaty. Yeah, self-serving. Yeah, Very it's much incredibly so. self-serving. And when you look at the, the... It's also interesting when you look at the people who were involved in it and they had something done for them. You know, there are these dozens and dozens and perhaps even over 100 different principalities that are affected. And little princes, because, you know, we're talking about remnants of the Holy Roman Empire, which just dissolved, you know, less than 10 years prior to this. Yeah, by Napoleon. Actually. By Napoleon, yeah. Um, and we don't even recognize most because they're part of larger states now. They have all been subsumed. Right. Uh, and, and, that, and there was some of that that comes out of this, too, here, because... Yeah, uh, but uh, even some of that, was though, was undone, because if you look at Russia taking over most of... Because Poland disappears. Yeah, that's for right. For a while. Um, you know, it's, the Netherlands becomes... And, the, and Well, the Netherlands expands, because exactly. there's still what, there was a Netherlands, but it, they take the part uh, that was Bel- Belgium, that's right. become Belgium uh, into that. Uh, Finland remains part of Russia because they had annexed it from Sweden uh, just a few years prior. Uh, you know, all these different things are going. It's literally just redrawing the lines on the map. It's doing what the Treaty of Westphalia said you shouldn't do. Yeah, and there's an irony for you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, so in my in my mind, this while it was a necessity to counteract and to to, to fix the political chaos that that. Napoleon caused. Yeah. It's a failure in the sense that it betrays Westphalia. It is. It, it, it was uh, Napoleon attempted to hegemonize, if that's a word, so many things together to blur these boundaries. And this treaty was decided. No, let's let's codify these specifically. And it was not necessarily in any way that took into account ethnicities or religions or any of that sort of stuff anymore. It's purely political. For example, it, Italy is re, is prevented from unifying. It's right. kept into in, yes. kept in in in, uh, in particularly uh, disjointed states. Right at and this has point, kept that way for another fifty years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's only when they actually went and decided, no, we want this themselves, that it actually happened. Uh, well, and by the time it happens, though, the rest of Europe has solidified into the states that we know today, relatively speaking. For for Italy, by that point, it was an act of self preservation. Yeah, because Germany is, Germany is is unifying as well. Which right. Is well, yeah, Germany becomes Germany as we know it today. At the same time, Italy becomes Italy. Right, because you kind of got to do that, and that's yeah. uh, well. And the whole Austria concept. is the counterbalance. Austria is the other big player in all of this mess. Well, Austria is the big loser at that point. Yeah, because I mean that. And was initially, the, they were a winner. They were taking over parts of Italy. Well, but yeah, yes, very much so. They, they, they end up being the big loser. And, and in this treaty, Austria comes off very, very well. Yeah. Yes, it does. Because this they, is Austria's last hurrah. This is the Habsburg's right. last hurrah. Yeah, this is when they really, because the, I mean, essentially, they're still standing. Well, yes, because for the most part, the Napoleonic Wars was a Northern European thing. That's and right. Austria's just at the edge of that. Right. And they were they were heavily involved. Them and Russia both came off very, very well with all this because right. France, which, you know, the previous two centuries under Louis and many of the others, it dominates so yes, it much. It was Europe. It was Europe. And yeah. and that they had been thrown down. Yeah. It's because of this right. and Austria sees this as an opportunity to, to be reclaim, the big, yeah. the big man of Europe, the big dog. We're the ones that will control European policy. Yeah. We put uh, the ruler in Spain back in that we want. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, which is odd because it was a bourbon. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Habsburg should not want that. Yeah. That's right, but you know, politics and wars make for strange bedfellows here yeah. because it comes. So, 
So the ending of this, again, all this back and forth, Talleyrand emerging as kind of, you know, he was a Bonapartist, now he's a Bourbonist. So he's he's trying to secure France, a little place, Austria's emerging. But basically they're dividing up these lands that Napoleon had conquered. Right. And not really status quo ante completely, but Russia comes out, like you said, Russia comes out ahead, Austria comes out ahead, Prussia comes out ahead. Yeah. Um, What's Britain kind of gets what Britain wants, and so things are back. It does, but it's not like a hundred years later, which we'll talk about in the next episode, it becomes a let us big dogs divide up all the rest of you all. It's not that. And also set the political order of those places. Not just who's going to have what land, but it's very reactionary, a very much a rejection of the original French Revolution, the idea of republics and all of that. That's going to be gone. It's very much, we're going back. At least to, for 30 years. That's yeah, right. we're going back to kingship, monarchs. That's right. And as you say, 30 years later, that would set the seeds for these revolutions of 1848 because the ideas behind republics and liberties and equality doesn't disappear. No, just because the people were very attached to these reforms. Well, that's the thing. All these things uh, that honestly, you know, I don't think Napoleon believed, truly believed in uh, what's the, the three part slogan? Liberté, égalité, fraternité. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Because uh, I knew it would mangle the, the, the words because I knew, I knew what they were, but I was coming up with the Latin versions. Yeah. Um, but these ideas are at odds with pretty much everything Napoleon did and everything that all of the other monarchs want to do. Yeah, and so, everything that comes out of right. the Congress once, of Vienna. We need to keep the people under control. Right. But once these ideas are introduced, they're very difficult to put back in the bottle. That's right. Ideas are the most powerful force in the world. Yeah. It really is. I mean, you know, if these guys had had the internet in 1815... What happened in 1848 would have looked like nothing, because yeah. you, you know the ideas would have spread. They would have fanned a, a, into a conflagration that would have been epic, in my opinion. Right. Uh, certainly, if they'd had the internet in 1848, it really I mean the whole they would have burned down the whole damn place. Well, yeah, I mean, and in France again was kind of the center of a lot of that because they they didn't really want to let go. They wanted peace. Uh, but you know the the Bourbons were not that successful. Yeah. Louis the Eighteenth kind of fizzles he, out. He of, screwed it up. He, he big time, and then Charles the Tenth after him, who gets deposed. Right. And that's when they and that's when they decided, well, let's bring in the Orleanist branch, but we're not going to let you, Louis King Louis Philippe, call is not allowed to be called King of France. He is King of the French. So there's this there's this republicanization. Constitutionalization of the monarchy in France. He was very much under the control of the civil government. Yeah. He was. All, it was not quite a well, constitutional and, monarchy. Yeah, well, France and, had a parliament, correct? Correct. Yeah, That's right. So, I mean, they they just didn't. They wouldn't go quite. He want, They wanted to go Republican. You know, to another republic. And but there was enough people saying in European pressure on this, and well, you know, really want to do that because it violates what we're talking about here. Yeah. So they kind of compromised, which is actually rather genius of them. Uh, that Louis will, you know, Louis Philippe is, you know, we will let you run, you know, we'll let you be king, but don't they forget, they really didn't understand how right. to construct an a effective const- legislature. That's correct. And they that's really where- didn't, and because they, uh, the estates system of the ancient regime. Was okay. Well, all the all the priests and the bishops are a constituent assembly. It's like what? what? Well, in England was the same way. And, the House of Lords, you know, the bishops are sitting. Well, but there. it was you just have two in Britain, yeah, and two here. France had four, you know, uh, and then that's everything turns to a big crap pile in the seventeen nineties. <laughs> um, that's what that's part of it that that really gets me is. There's a successful example right across the channel. There's a successful example across the ocean. Why can't France get this right? Well, and they be, couldn't until you well, know, it, until 1945. They don't get it right. Well, anywhere close. 
Well, you're right because they go back. Have a hard time with it after that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not that they you know go back to monarchist crap, but you know, but it takes De Gaulle to kind of here's an actual effective executive, but at the same time representative democracy. Well, yes, but even then, though, the parliamentary system is not really good for st- stable executives. Yes, that's part of the problem because um, you know even De Gaulle is deposed. You know, gotten rid of, to, you know, however you want to yeah. put it. He's not like overthrown, but how many republics did they end up having? Fifth, five. six. They're on the fifth republic. On the fifth republic. Oh, so it's still the fifth. Okay. I, I, yes. Yes. The, just, so this one's been the longest last. Yes. This, yeah. This the, is essentially done. It's it's pretty much there. Yeah, the this system is like we have today. Seventy years. Yeah. That's that's the, probably the Gaullist system is the fifth republic, and it's kind of the okay. Okay. Seventy. Because I have a hard last, time keeping track of all. Yes, of and and you, but you make a great point. During the other periods, especially the Fourth Republic, governments are falling every six or eight weeks sometimes, and they're just churning through. Well, because people are never satisfied, and yeah. it's all because it's all about satisfaction. Satis- satis- well, and it's it's satisfaction. so split. You know, it's right. eight parties or six parties. so nobody ever has enough juice to stabilize anything. Right. Uh, you know. You make a coalition government with this other party, and then they decide you're not parting your hair the right way, and the coalition falls. Uh, you know, it's like, guys, y'all, the lesson of American politics is be broad-based. That's right. Try to have, you can't just be a party with this one thing that you're doing. You know, be make a broad coalition of different interests. Big tent, dare I say? Yeah. And that is that is what makes American politics such a success it's, is both parties make an attempt to do that. Right. Well, you know, used to. Used to. Yeah. You know, it's like PJ Ork said, you know, when you put Lloyd Benson on one tip of the wing of the Democratic Party and Jesse uh, Jackson on the other wing, uh, wing you have a you know, the bird the size of the merchandise mart. <laughs> you know, the Chicago merchandise mart. It's a very broad-based thing, but it gives stability. Yeah, and that's because you have to have stability and sustainability. Yeah. Because if you're constantly changing governments, nothing ever happens. It's just yeah, utter nothing chaos. Gets done. Yeah. And, uh, and that Robert, was one of the lessons. I feel like I cut you off, though. I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, that's which is kind of, and I want to wrap with this because we're right at right at an hour. But uh, we have to understand that this this con- concert system that they put in place at this moment here, for lack lack of good or ill, it survives through the next hundred years. It's World yes. War One. It, uh, it has its moments. Uh, 1848 is a huge one with the revolutions, the Crimean War right after that. Uh, there were issues with that Franco-Prussian, Franco-Prussian war. war and all this stuff. It yeah. doesn't prevent wars, but it does have a means for governments talking to each other, which is it used to be one would send emissaries to the other, and that's the way this worked. This was the first time uh, where they were actually coming together in the same rooms, in the same city, at the same time, and actually trying to make things happen. It is, in many respects, a precursor well, to League no, of Nations. No, they did this 150 years prior from the Treaty of Westphalia. They got they got together in the same location. Yes. So uh, this is not the first time they did that. It's correct. Well, it's even Westphalia, though, is still running back and forth between two Right, there are camps. different camps. But, I mean, everybody's still getting together. And because they could, because not everybody wanted to get together in the same place. That's, they what, were, that's what changes here is they do. They get yeah, together in they the really same do. place. Well, it's just an extension. I mean, they were face still to meeting face. together. Yeah, yeah. kind yeah. of face-to-face. Again, not not really big sessions, not UN-style meetings, but, but, but yeah. three or four guys you know, work out something, then three or four different guys that work out something, take it back to these other players. It was even said that the salons in Vienna is where a lot of this business was taking place. Because you'd get together in the evenings and you talk about this stuff with guys that used to be your you know hated enemies, and now all of a sudden dialogue has truly been opened, and the, you're able to coexist in the same spot and make things happen. It, That's it, what's really yeah, good, good it, about this. De demonizes the enemy. Yes, to exactly. a degree. I mean, you're you're realizing 
hey, everybody's a human here. And we and the all cost want the of same this, thing. Yeah, the and cost of this is just too much. Right. That's that's exactly it. And that puts us on the road to modernity. Uh, it puts in place a system that, you know, for better or worse, lasts 100 years. See, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too cynical here. Um, no, that's my job. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, maybe we shouldn't start in bourbon so early. Um, I agree with, in very broad strokes, with what you're saying. But in many ways, I see this as uh, very much like the Enlightenment. Yeah, these are all very great and grand ideas, but only for certain people. You know, it's very Wilsonian. It, yeah, it, it's very much a. I want to protect my elitism in my particular area. Yeah, yeah. That's really what this is about. Um, the I think the. You know, any reference to the Napoleonic Code, even by Napoleon, is a sop to the people. Right. Because you turn the mob loose in the 1780s, 1790s, really. Yeah. Um, and everybody's go in France is going to be afraid of that happening again. That's why I think the Napoleonic Code is promulgated. And ultimately, it does, you know, with the help of the success in the U.S., because we are still uh, going concerned. Uh, even though we don't have a huge amount of influence uh, at this point, but we are still going, and so I think any any anything that acknowledges that, I think, is more of a CYA by all of these monarchs that are getting together. Because realistically, that's what this is: representatives of monarchs trying to get back what they lost. Yes, very, and, very and, much. You're very correct. And, you know, and yes. yeah, they may put together this this. This it's not a permanent framework. They do something that you know. That I think maybe they recognize later. Well, you know, that kind of worked back then. We can use that again. Yeah. It's not like there's a uh, League of Nations. No, that was there is far no too yeah. organization. Yeah, nothing permanent. Nothing permanent. For, they for have done something that later will be looked at and seen as well. You know, and maybe that's not such a bad idea. Yeah, we can and, we can you know, build on that. Maybe at some point this leads is what leads to having permanent ambassadors everywhere, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know if that really helps anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, it gives you a place to go when you lose your passport when you're in another <laughs> country. But beyond that, I'm not so sure that it's yeah. uh, how much good that does. Uh, well, especially with modern communications. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I, I ju I'm just very cynical of this because uh, of the, the – of why I look at who the players are and what their goals were and what they accomplish. Because even though, I mean, and you know, Martin, you talk about it yeah. lays the groundwork for 1848. Yeah. Uh, they they Again, don't learn any lessons. Right. Again, it is very reactionary. It is very much a, we got to put all this liberal shit back in the bottle. Right. Thing. Right. Or all this where these people think they got rights. We got to put all that shit back in the bottle. Right. And I think that, you know, anything that they stumbled upon as a, as a good framework was, was just because... It's part of the result of, of Napoleon no having so much success everywhere, causing yeah. so yeah. much chaos everywhere that, and nobody is, is able to mount any more wars with the possible exception of Britain because he didn't invade them. Uh, yeah. and, and the Austrians. I mean, they, it, right. Know. It is the, the main thing that kind of comes here is at least we'll agree to talk about shit. Right, that's exactly. Yeah. For now, because so that's where, you know, for now, because we, no, we can't, we can't go to war with each other because nobody's able to. Yeah. We don't have the, the willpower, much less the manpower. So let's figure this stuff out. Let's be reasonable right now. But, you know, once we leave here, all bets are off. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's hard to expect much more from stuff constructed by weasels like Talleyrand. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's part of it, too. Well, and, you know, when you look at the major players. And Metternich. Yeah. You know, somebody. Again, well, these, yeah, are, the these are side. very cynical Machiavellian people. Right. You know, they, they're firmly rooted in that kind of a European Machiavellian tradition of whatever, there's no right or wrong, there's just whatever serves my country whatever or wins. my interest. Yeah, whatever yeah. wins yeah. Is, is what they're building on. So Right. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I recognize there's, you know, some good ideas came out of this, but other than calming things down after Napoleon, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not real. That's uh, that's a. I think that's a very valid perspective. Robert. Yeah, because ultimately it does fail. A hundred years later, it completely fails. Well, I, no, I, I don't even think it takes a hundred years. No, it, it fails know. thirty years later. Oh, sure, it, fa- it fails over and over again. They keep right, trying I mean, it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can make the argument that if you want, if you want to look at it, uh, if it lasts a hundred years, then the League of Nations is nothing more than formalizing this, and I don't think that's true. That's why I say it fails much earlier. It's very much when you get to 1848. Uh, even though there are more republics and democracies, um, it's still they're still doing the same thing. It's just yeah. now you've got people who are elected and who are uh, politically elite instead of hereditarily elite or economically well, elite. In 1848, most of these movements are crushed. Well, that's true. I mean, too. they're absolutely crushed. I mean that. That's why you get in 19-whatever, Franz Joseph of Austria telling Theodore Roosevelt, in me you see the last monarch of the old school. And he means, when he says old school, he means pre-Congress of Vienna old school. Right. He means, I'm it, and everybody else is nothing. Um, You know. Well, he actually has a really good argument for that, considering who he was and who his family is. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, we, we are, we... We are not only the leaders of this nation, we are divinely destined to be leaders of this nation, and therefore, we are not even to be questioned. Therefore, that gives us license to crush these movements in 1848. Right. Well, we are the nation. Yeah. Yeah. I am the state. That's right. Yeah. Which seems a good point to end. I mean, to a large degree, again, you're right that what does this really accomplish? Because it doesn't even really extinguish Bonapartism. Because it's still a, a factor in European politics for a hundred years too. Sure. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that in many ways, but it really is. Yeah. That's right. I mean, there there are people who still are loyal to the idea of Bonapartism. And again, the grand nephews and all that all are part of the power structure in France later. And Yeah, loyalty to the emperor was a thing for a long time. A long time. Absolutely. So I think that really, really runs through that pretty good there, Francis. So what's next time, man? Code of Honor next time. We're going to talk about Code of Honor. That's right. We really, really get philosophical, gets deep on some stuff here. We're going to do some great quotations from who knows whom. And it's always a good time. So make sure you're here with us. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.